So, I'm excited uh, to be here to, uh, you know, sort of get us started uh, in our opportunity to dig into Romans this fall. You know, it's any time you decide, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about this, it makes me have to dig in at a much deeper level myself. So, I, I appreciate that encouragement. You know, you hear different things. Some people say, you know, uh, that once you get Romans, you know, God gets you. That's a good quote. Uh, the one I liked even better, though, was that... Uh, it's not that you need Romans to understand Jesus, you need Jesus to understand Romans. Amen. So as you dig into Romans, bring Jesus along, your understanding of Jesus, and it'll make it a very powerful experience. You know, and as we're doing it over the fall, a couple things that I would encourage you to do is, one is, take some time to read the entire letter in one sitting. Mm-hmm. You should be able to do that in about an hour. Um, sometimes I cheat, I turn on my audio Bible and let it read while I read, you know, that helps keep my attention staying there. That was great. I would even say read it in a, a couple of different translations, because that way big passages that you may have learned, uh, you may have highlighted in your own brain, uh, will sort of stand out to you in a different way as you do that. that that's very powerful. I would, I would say find a commentary that you can read along with your study. You know, what I like is one that my friend Gordon Ferguson wrote a while back in Romans, The Heart Set Free. That's a good one. There are others out there um, that I can share with you if you're interested. Listen to the uh, to the uh, podcast, the videos on the Bible Project. Sort of, you know, they do a great job of sort of laying everything out for you. So you say, oh, that's how that fits together. That's how that fits together. But I think the more you sort of take the time to invest in figuring it out, the more you'll come away feeling like, I, I know this. It's not just... Oh, I've got this one memory scripture here, or there's actually, you know, Romans 3.23, I know what that says. But you really know how it all fits together. So when you do come back to that memory verse, or encounter some scripture, you go, I get it. This is how it fits together. <clears throat> so I feel comfortable with that, because I know what he was talking about. So today, in the interest of sort of diving into Romans, we're going to start, we're going to work through uh, Romans 1, 1 through 15. So that's, uh, I think, a reasonable chunk for us to dig into a bit. Um, so Rome, Rome in the first and second century was the capital of the Western world. It was it was enormous. It, you know, in that time it had more than a million people, and it was in less than five square miles. <coughs> there wasn't a bigger city until the Industrial Revolution. Of course, now there's much larger cities. That was huge. You know, they had aqueducts, they had they had culture, they had architecture, they had entertainment, they had rich people. <coughs> Very rich people, they had very poor people. You know, and the thing that's interesting is that church wasn't started by an apostle. We'll talk in a little bit, but that church really was the overflowing of Pentecost, Acts 2. It says there that there were visitors from Rome, and they went back to Rome from Pentecost. It was your original sort of dispersion. It wasn't even, you know, it wasn't a mission to me, it was just they went back home and got it going. It's, it's Paul's longest letter. It's, it's very similar to Galatians, and so I think Galatians is an interesting parallel to Romans as well. Let's start off in, in Romans chapter 1. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. It's interesting. So Paul is a servant. You know, the word is basically a, a slave. So Paul is a slave of, of Jesus Christ. And I like one one translator translate when it says uh, when it says Christ, 
know, sometimes we think, what's this his last name, right? Jesus Christ. You know, Mr. Christ, if you come up in front of the classroom. But, you know, Christ there is the word Messiah. So it really means king. You want to king. And so when you read that, maybe it would help you to say instead, King Jesus. So every time you see Jesus Christ, just think, King Jesus. And can you imagine being in the Roman Empire where the, the, uh, the Caesars, the leaders there, had anointed themselves as the Son of God, and you went around saying, oh, no, no, I don't follow Caesar, I follow King Jesus, Emperor Jesus. <laughs> That's who I follow. That's who I, you know, who I'm behind. It really was in their face, in a sense, putting it out there. That's that's who I'm behind. That's what I'm on. You know, Paul talks about his apostleship here. You know, he doesn't normally do that, but you know, he's never been to Rome. You know, it's not like he has a bunch of followers or he planted the church. They really know him closely. So he's really drawing back on. You know, here's why you probably should listen to what I'm saying. Uh, here's why I'm writing this. You know, it, it was, like I mentioned, it was planted, you know, uh, at the time of Pentecost. And I, I just looked at it, it's 2,100 miles. That was a long trip. Can you imagine, then we go to a missions conference, you know, we would have Orlando. Orlando's how far? About 1,500 miles. So it would be like taking a boat or a trek to go down to, like, Mexico City. And so I would have to propose that the Jews that went from Rome on Pentecost to Jerusalem were pretty serious. They were pretty sold out. They took that long journey. Of course, they were, uh, like many, probably quite surprised at what happened with Peter in Acts 2, which we studied about. And so they were converted. They were likely, or some of the 3,000 were converted on that day. And they just went back. So they went back to Rome. They took it back with them. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was just amazing that how God used that. So this letter is written about 28 years after that. So written about probably in the winter of 57 to 58 AD, some of those things. So it's been back uh, that long. And the, those seeds of Christianity really have started to grow in that town and, uh, and expand it. Now, can you imagine how that works? You know, that, has, that can work in our life. We've become the seeds of, of the mission to go back to the place where we were we were called to be back to. That's exciting to see, you know, like Yvonne and Nicole here, and, uh, and just to see how they moved around. God has sort of moved them from Syracuse, right initially, to here, and Nicole up here, and just moving around. Now God is working in his church that way. That's exactly what was happening in Rome, is that God was bringing the right people at the right time for this church. And I know Mike Fix talked a bit about it, you know, a few weeks ago when he was sharing about it, but, you know, Rome is even not the kind of church you expect in a city of a million people. It was made up of house churches, of small group settings. You know, we learned more about that in Acts 16, because Paul, you know, mentioned several of the house, the churches that meet in people's houses in, uh, in Acts 16, sort of highlight that. But yeah, Paul has never been there. Eventually he makes it. I think what we know from reading Acts that he doesn't make it the way he had hoped to make it. He ends up on going to Jerusalem and getting arrested and brought there and then later executed. He, uh, his martyrdom point was eight years after this letter. He's more than likely buried in Rome, as is Peter also uh, buried in Rome. Um, you know, it was, uh, and it's interesting, even his letter, you know, it's really different if you've read Romans. It's not like reading Corinthians. Because he's not addressing problems specifically, he's really, I think, writing uh, his his testament, his 
uh, preparation, you know, is, is trying to protect the church there by thinking in advance, saying, I see these things happening in the greater Christian world, and I want to protect you against the things that are, that are going on, so that you won't, you know, they won't be a stumbling block for you. And that is really where it plays into us. It helps, you know, it, it's a little bit different take, but it helps us then to be able to understand just how God wants to, uh, through his writings, to protect us as well. It's very cool. Amen. So verse 2, though, it mirrors a verse that's in, in, uh, in, in Romans 16. If you just keep your finger in 1 and skip over to 16. So the second verse in Romans actually mirrors the next to the last uh, verse in, in Romans. Larry was here, we might say, no, wait, that's something like a chasm. <laughs> no, I haven't mapped out all of Romans, but it is interesting. So it, it says in, in verse 26, but now revealed and made known through the writings by the command of the eternal God. And so this was this knowledge was prophesied in, in the Holy Scriptures in the Old Testament. It was prophesied that uh, this would be made known uh, to the people uh, and revealed that the message was there. We know that uh, we know that um, in human lineage Jesus is a descendant of David. We know that it says here in Romans, but it also says it in Matthew chapter one. And even thinking about this sort of the setting where, where Paul is writing to Rome, he's writing about Jesus. Um, you know, Romans at this time, the church is mainly Gentile, the town is mainly Gentile. Remember, they said all the Jews went away, some came back eventually, but um, you know, he's uh, he's calling uh, he's calling Jesus the Son of God. I mentioned it a bit ago, but that was the same language that Caesar Augustus used for himself. You know, he changed the calendar. My birthday is the beginning of the calendar. He, he said, you know, I am the good news. He used the word that we use for gospel, evangelion. That was what the Caesar called himself. I am the good news. You know, I am. He also said he was the son of God. The Caesar did. And so Jesus comes and said, well, no, actually, I am the real son of God. And I am the real good news. But you know that when you start talking that way, you really are being in the face of the Roman government, you're really pushing back on it and saying, no, no, the way you think it goes, that's not the way it goes. It, it is different, you know. And, and Jesus is declared, you know, to be the true Son of God. Let's keep reading here. It says, um, okay, so, regarding his son, who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God by, in power, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through him we have received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to faith and obedience for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and so if you now keep your finger, let's go back to Romans 16 and just look at the end there. It's interesting that he, he ties that back in verse 26. It says, But now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to faith and obedience. Interesting. So the goal was that all the Gentiles and all the Jews would come to faith and obedience in Caesar? In Jesus. In Jesus. That was the, the call together. You know, it, it really... So all nations might believe and obey him. 
I mean, obedience and Jeanette were talking about this on the way in. You know, what is it that we need to be more obedient in? How does obedience really work? <clears throat> and obedience and faith, they go together. You know, some would say, some have said that no, it's faith only, and uh, you know, anything that you make, if you have to obey, that becomes a work. And that's just, that's not really what Romans is saying. In fact, Martin Luther went so long far to say, well, James talks about faith and deed. No, we're not, we're not going to put that in the Bible because that contradicts with his interpretation. But when I read this, it says very clearly that that faith, what I believe and what I do, they go together. That's interesting, right? You know, it's, 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 that's how it works in real life, right? That's how it works for us. You know, if you are, like, if you're in a relationship, like, I, I, uh, I know that Jeanette believes in me, believes in what she says because her actions back it up. When I say I love her, uh, it's clear because I do loving things. And I, and I can say, well, you know, come on, I love you. I told you I love you when we got married. I'll, you know, if I change my mind, I will tell you again. <laughs> and even beyond that, we need to do things that are loving um, in order to really be, make it clear that what I believe in is you know, made true by what I'm doing. It's exciting, too, that, you know, there in verse 26 of chapter 16, he says, it's going to go to all nations, literally to all people. You know, all people will have the opportunity to come to faith and obedience. You know, it's a global theme. It's global, you know, yeah, it's global evangelism. See, the good news comes to everybody. Everybody gets a chance. You don't have to just be a Jew in Jerusalem to be able to have an eternal relationship with God. It can happen to everyone in every age. It's a phenomenal, it's an exciting message, and it really underlines that the goal of Romans, this hope that Steve was talking about, is really a hope that's for everybody. Everybody has the opportunity to be part of that, and you know, even calls them to all the, the holy people, I think in some versions, it calls them saints in verse 7. Did you ever think about that those that are loved by God and called to be saints, that's you. You know, God is God is, is uh, making a people for, him, for his very self. He's bringing them in. He's pulling them together. And when we think about the church that Paul's writing to in Rome, you know, the original Christians, we said, were, they came in Acts 2, returning from Rome. Uh, they were viewed as a, as a sect of the Jews. And that's why some of them were sent away when, when, uh, when the, the, uh, the Jews were expelled by Claudius. Um, you know, we know about Priscilla and Aquila. Read about them. Yeah. They were in Rome. They went to Corinth, and they worked with some other guy there, Paul, right? Making tents is one of the things they did. Uh, we kind of believe from, from uh, Romans 16 that now they're back in Rome. They went back, and uh, so we know that's going on. But Jews had sort of an interesting protection originally in Rome. They, they were culturally protected. The government protected them. And, uh, and so it was, just a, it was an interesting thing there that the Gentiles were sort of seen differently than that. Uh, during the time in, in Rome. Um, and so, I mentioned Claudius sent them away, they came back. So here. Um, you know, and, and even this idea of being a saint. Uh, maybe you were like me, you were raised a saint is what? What's somebody that's done a miracle? You know, they've done a miracle and it's been long enough, so they're now recognized and they get to be a saint, and so they get a name and maybe they get put up in a stained glass window somewhere and you're a saint. And, uh, and so maybe you have a hard time going, Oh, wait a minute. I'm a saint. I, I have the spirit of Jesus. I'm a saint. Interesting, huh? 
So Paul, we know that Paul is writing to the saints, like you and me, in Rome. But then it's also important to understand, well, where, where is Paul writing from? You know, what's the background? You know, it helps to know when you get a letter from somebody, if they say, oh, you know, I'll be here shortly, it's very different if they're, you know, just you know, texting you from just outside the building, or they're jotting you a note from, you know, what do we say from Mexico City? So the context, what's going on? And so let's, let's dig a bit into that. So in, in Romans 16.1, uh, Paul commends Phoebe, uh, a servant, a deacon perhaps, in, in Centra. Centra is one of the two harbors in Corinth. And so we know that, that the letter is coming from Corinth. You know, uh, Rome has a port. It's called Osti, I think. Um, Phoebe was somehow connected to Rome. Maybe she's sailing there. But at the very least, we you know, believe she's delivering the letter. You know, some people believe that maybe, you know, oftentimes when you send a letter, the person that delivered it sort of gave you some context, answered some questions. Well, what would Paul believe about this? So it's, you know, one person said it's possible that Phoebe was the first person to actually preach on the Romans, you know, to the Roman people. Interesting perspective, right? Um, and Paul says, receive her in the Lord. She's been a great, a great help to me. You know, many of Paul's colleagues, co-workers, in the ministry were women. Uh, you know, Jesus and Paul had many, many connections with women. You know, more so even than in the Old Testament. The Old Testament was an improvement over the pagan world. But, uh, you know, clearly what Jesus, what Paul, what others did in the New Testament was even beyond that. And, you know, in the second century, we returned more to a patriarchy. So that's something for another day. But this is this is interesting, it's exciting, especially in, in Romans 16, as you see just how connected what connected Paul was with a variety of brothers and sisters. He mentions in verse 23, he mentions Erastus as the director of public works in Corinth. And so we know uh, there's a there's a large, I think a some kind of pavement that's dedicated to Erastus. And so we know for sure that that what he's mentioning was in Corinth. So now Paul's writing a letter in Corinth. He's sending with Phoebe to Rome, um, you know, and he wants to go to Rome. Well, why? Well, he wants to go maybe because, because it's the largest city in the world. You know, maybe he has a vision that, you know, he can really impact Rome. The Roman Empire at the time, did you know, took up 20% of the people in the world. It was the Roman Empire at the time. It's just amazing, you know, that it, the impact, of course, it went on to have in the Christian world was, was huge. So that's you know certainly a reason why we want to go. He mentioned that he wanted to go there to share some spiritual gift. Let's go ahead and read here in verse 30 and verse 8. He says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness of constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times, and I pray that now at last. By God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I've had from other Gentiles. So he wants to go to Rome. He wants to give him a spiritual gift. So what is the spiritual gift? Hmm. Well, one one way I think. Well, maybe he's just coming. He's going to bless them, teach them, share his faith, his experiences with them. And in a general way, 
you know, sort of what, like what I'm trying to do here today. You know, trying to share with you and have it be a blessing for you. So that's one way that it could be. You know, maybe it's a, maybe it's a spiritual gift. So we know that in 1 Corinthians 1.5 it says that he had shared with them every spiritual gift in Christ. So whatever he was doing in Corinth, he had given to them every spiritual gift. Um, some are miraculous. Some gifts are miraculous. <clears throat> Many of the gifts are not miraculous. Administration, or teaching, some other things, right? And so it's possible that since no apostle had ever been to Rome, that maybe he was coming to give the miraculous gifts to come to lay our hands. Or it could be that he was just coming there to encourage them. But either way, either way you read it, it's an encouragement to all the people. He was trying to go there to be an encouragement to the people uh, that he would be with. And the letter, the same way, really has a practical purpose and it has a theological purpose. You know, I mentioned earlier the theological purpose is to head off trouble that's coming. Uh, you know, there, there's been a council in Jerusalem. We read about it a bit in Galatians. Galatians was an earlier letter. If you haven't read it, you know, there's a little bit of intrigue there for sure with what's going on. And so, it, clearly, that's, I believe that's the main reason Paul wrote the letter from a, from a theological perspective. But then there's also a, there's a missionary purpose to it as well. So, uh, you know, he, it says in, uh, in Romans 15, 23 that, you know, we know at the time Paul was in the Eastern Mediterranean, near Antioch, that's where he'd been doing his ministry, and he came to a point where he says, there's not much left for me to do here. It's, you know, it's all, he's ready to go somewhere new, somewhere different. He's ready to come to Burlington, Vermont, because it's different, right? And it needs God. Uh, and, uh, you know, ultimately he wanted to go to Spain. So he wanted to go to Spain. Uh, Spain was at the time the end of the Roman Empire. It's like I'm going out there because you know no one has gone there. Uh, and you know coincidentally, uh, from Jerusalem, Rome is on the way. It's on the way to get there. You know he shares there in 15 that he, he's headed to Jerusalem. You know with famine relief. He's been collecting money from the churches in uh, in Macedonia and Achaia, which you know. Reading on your map today, North and South Greece. So he's been in Greece, uh, but instead of heading west to Spain, for the moment he's going to go down to Jerusalem to deliver money uh, for the poor Jews, poor amongst the Jews, and also the Christians in Jerusalem. So that's what he's doing. You know, and he, he says there, he says, I, I'm planning on getting a full blessing when I get to you in Rome. Exactly. I think he's expecting them to provide financial assistance. I just need some money to go to Spain. That's really where God is calling me. That's where I'm at. You know, when you read passages like 1 Corinthians 9, or you read 3 John, you make it very clear that it was an expectation of the early church that we supported missionaries, supported people who were preaching the word on their way, taking care of their, of their physical needs, their travel needs. And I think it's, it's, it's a good coincidence that we have our special missions contribution coming up here at the end of, end of October. And this is the thing, so the Ponron, that, you know, that Paul was very strong about here, very strong in 1 Corinthians and John and 3 John, that that's really something that God expects us to do as well. Really help to advance, as we said in, in, uh, in Romans 16, that global mission that God has the vision for everybody to have access to the gospel of Jesus because it transforms your life. Mm -hmm. Changes who you are. 
So that, you know, we're going to learn more about the theological purpose in the next time we get together. So I'm going to leave something out there for you to come back with, right? But we'll talk about that more next time as we dig into, you know, it's actually verse 16 and 17 of Romans 1. We'll, we'll stop here on sort of the overview. I think that gives us a picture of, of where he's coming from, who he's writing to, why he wrote it, and sort of what the intent is. And so we'll dig back more to that. I think it'll be fun. Well, good times for digging in and have a feel for why you want to read Romans. Why does it matter? Why why is it there? And I think as you get into Romans, you're going to see it's in all this Old Testament too. You know, how does he weave all those together? Um, and we were just done talking about it's all the Gentile Christians. They seem to know the Old Testament better than I. Oh wow! Okay, I'm going to make it. So back in, in uh, as we prepare for communion, just have a thought for you in verse 2 through 4 of Romans 1. You think about it, it's been all the news. Like I, I like to watch the evening news occasionally. For the last two or three days, they only are talking about the new king of England. You know, the death of the queen, right? King Charles is now the new guy. Um, and he's not even like, the, he's not even the leader of England. He's just the, I don't know, is it figurehead? I'm not sure exactly. Um, but people love a king. They want a king. It's just, you know, one one person to listen to, one voice. I don't have to deal with political parties. I don't have to deal with, you know, all this politics. It's just the king. The king is there. You know, it's the same thing was in the Roman time. They had Caesar. You know, they don't have anybody but Caesar. Caesar's the one. And then here comes the real king. The real Messiah. The real Evangelion. The real good news that was promised through the scriptures. Let's just read here. We read this thinking of Jesus starting in verse 2. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God, empowered by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. As we think about communion, it really, this is our connection with what God did there on the cross and really bringing about his good news about our relationship with God uh, that the things that, you know, there's lots of things in our life that try to claim to be good news. Just like in the Roman Empire, there was lots of things that claimed to be good news. Hey, you got running water. Hey, you got culture. Hey, you got access to money. Hey, you could even, if you're the top dog, you can claim to be the son of God. But you know what? We're saints in the kingdom of God. You know, communion is a time to consider all the kings that are trying to deliver good news to you and compare them to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who brought the true good news, the true opportunity to connect with God, to decide that you're going to renounce the connection with uh, the good news of this world because there can only be one king. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you can't have co-kings. There is one king. And I think that's the time now as we pray before we take the bread and the juice to reflect on, I want to be Jesus to be my king. Let's pray. Father, you are awesome. You know, we're just inspired that you, you give us the opportunity to know you through Jesus. God, I pray that you take away the, the allure of the world, that you really help our eyes to be focused on Jesus. We know that he has the answer that really changes the lives of everyone. 
Uh, today, we just want to focus on right now how our lives change as we connect with the love of Jesus and we've gone close to you. We love you. Thank you for this time to be together. We worship you. And